This morning we're going to consider waiting for Jesus. The passage is Matthew chapter 24 verse 35 through to chapter 25 and verse 13. I suspect that all too often people read a few random verses from the Bible or perhaps they cherry pick their favourite verses to read instead of systematically reading through whole books and ultimately the whole Bible. The result is that they have a patchy and incomplete understanding of the Word of God, including and especially his plan for the redemption of hell-deserving sinners, which has its fulfilment in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming again and taking all his chosen ones, his elect, to be with him. What we all need to do is study the scriptures with a microscope in order to understand the details of the verses and also we need to study the Bible with a wide-angle lens in order to understand the verses that we're reading in the wider context of the passage and ultimately in the wider context of the whole Bible. This morning we shall look at three parables of the Lord Jesus Christ which he told one after the other to his disciples and which clearly connect with each other. In Matthew chapter 24 Jesus had been talking to his disciples about the end times and his coming again. What he said in those parables was a response to a question they had put to him, put to him in verse 3 where it is written, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? Then, after explaining the events that will surely happen before his second coming, Jesus spoke in parables, about how two different groups of people will live their lives up to the time he returns in judgment. In the first parable, we can see that it will be like the days of Noah. Daniel's already read this, but I'm going to read again. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through to 42. But of that day and hour, Knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Concerning those days, Genesis chapter 6 
tells us something about about just how wicked that generation was in the time of Noah. For, for example, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it is written, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in verse 11, it is written, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You might think that it must have been really terrible in those days, and you'd be right to think so. After all, the people must have been really wicked when you consider that not only were the thoughts of their hearts evil continually, but furthermore, the imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were, continu- uh, were evil continually. Also, it would seem that the wickedness was widespread when you consider that the earth was filled with violence. Perhaps you are someone who imagines that the situation in the world is better now. If you are, I would have to tell you that you're living in cloud cuckoo land. For one thing, I don't suppose that as many babies were murdered back then as there are now. According to the World Health Organization, every year in the world there are an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions. That's a lot of innocent blood being shed in abortion clinics and down toilets. Also, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, it is written in verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. There are various explanations for that verse, some of which are fanciful to say the least, such as angels marrying women. However, the straightforward explanation is that men who were were of a godly descent married ungodly women, and that is something that is most certainly happening nowadays, with Christians being unequally yoked in marriage with ungodly people who are not trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin and as their Lord. It does not make sense, and it is something that should never, ever happen, and yet it does happen. Despite all of the wickedness that was occurring upon the earth and in men's hearts back in Noah's day, we can see in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 38 that people nevertheless got on with their lives, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until suddenly the flood came and the human race perished under God's judgment, except for just eight souls who were safe in the ark, Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives. Likewise, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in judgment, it will be sudden. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it is written, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Thieves don't generally announce their arrival. 
They come suddenly and they come without warning. And so it will be when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. It won't be an invisible coming either. Every eye shall see him when he comes, no longer as the sacrifice for sin, but when he comes in judgment and with power and great glory. When Jesus comes again, according to verse 40, two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Similarly, verse 41, Jesus says that two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. In both cases, Jesus is talking about separation with all the believers who are alive going up to meet Jesus and to meet the departed believers in the air. We see this to be the case in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and 17 where it is written For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What that means is that when Jesus comes again in judgment, all of the departed believers will come with him, and they will be reunited with glorified bodies. Also, the bodies of all the living believers at the time will be glorified, and they will be taken up to meet the coming King. When heads of states, kings, queens, dignitaries, celebrities come, they are welcomed by those who meet them as they arrive. People often line the streets as the, as the dignitaries approach and they cheer them. When the Lord Jesus Christ made his journey into Jerusalem, he was accompanied by multitudes. Some spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so it is, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that if Jesus were to come right now, as a thief in the night, you and I would be caught up in the clouds to meet and praise our glorious King, while the unbelieving await judgment and eternal damnation for not obeying the gospel of Christ. The second parable deals with serving whilst waiting for Jesus to come again. We'll have a look again at Matthew chapter 24 verse 43 to 51 but know this that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not think not the son of man cometh who then 
is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That parable has its application in the church, with ministers serving the members by feeding them the word of God and caring for them. A church minister is a servant. That is what minister means, servant. Even the Apostle Paul recognised himself for what he was, a servant. He introduced himself in Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 as Paul, a servant of God. Ultimately, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, no less, came into this sin-sick world where the imaginations of the thoughts of men's hearts are continually evil, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Church ministers who really are saved from their sins ought to be ready for the Lord's return, whenever that may be, and their readiness ought to be seen in a desire to serve. They are people who keep themselves busy preparing spiritual meals and feeding the word of God to the sheep that the Lord has given them in order that, that those sheep might grow and abound in their faith and bring forth much fruit for the glory of God. As servants, faithful ministers have no interest in lording it over their congregations, and they have no interest in advancement in this world. As Jesus said to his apostles in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through through to 28 ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they that are great exercise authority upon them but it shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister or servant and whosoever will be chief among you let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Taking servanthood to a logical conclusion, the King of Kings came into the world not to be served, but to serve. The angels of the Lord Jesus Christ were called to serve. And church ministers are most certainly called to serve, so much so that with, with regards to those who do not serve and do not care for the sheep, Jesus said 
in verse 50 and 51, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As a church minister, I take those verses very seriously indeed, and I look for direction from God, and I look for his grace to discharge my duties and fulfil my ministry for the benefit of the church as a whole, as well as for individual Christians, and most of all, for the glory of God. But it doesn't end there. Do not imagine that since you are none of the aforementioned, that you are somehow exempt from service as you wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. All who belong to Jesus are saved to serve. You, you who were once a slave to sin are now a servant of the Most High God. As it is written in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And you show yourself to be a servant of your great God and Saviour by serving others, especially your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As it is written in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 through to 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Having looked at our attitude towards one another and serving one another, we can consider our attitude towards the one whom we profess to be waiting for, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 25 and the first 13 verses. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, <clears throat> the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards, 
came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Very solemn words indeed. In that parable, the bridegroom represents the Lord Jesus Christ and the ten virgins can be seen to be professing Christians. All of the virgins went through the motions of preparing for the coming of the bridegroom, but when he finally came, half of them showed themselves to be truly ready, with their lamps burning brightly, whilst the others were caught on the hop or unprepared for his coming. Whilst the wise virgins waited for the bridegroom to come, they slept. Likewise, all repentant sinners who have received Jesus as their Saviour and have believed on his name have every reason to rest, to rest in him and in his mighty hand. As for the foolish virgins, they slept as well, but for them it was time that was wasted, because all the while they slept, they had no oil for their lamps. The folly of that can be seen when you apply it to professing Christians who are resting on their own merits, instead of resting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work of redemption. I'm talking about those who profess Christ, but they do not possess him. They too have no oil in that they have no saving grace, no indwelling Holy Spirit, no hope of glory, nothing other than when Jesus comes for him to say to them, I know you not. In the parable, the foolish virgins said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. However, the wise virgins had none to spare. In the same way, you cannot expect others to repent on your behalf or believe on your behalf. You cannot receive the saving grace of God from others, not from your mum, your dad, your friends, nor anyone else. Though all of those people and others that you don't even know about will inevitably pray for your salvation, it is for you to repent of your sins and for you to trust in Jesus. On the surface, all of those virgins would appear to be the same, doing the same things, such as going to the same Baptist church, singing the same metrical psalms and grace hymns, and listening to the same gospel sermons. Yet for all that, half of them represented truly born-again Christians who really do know the Lord Jesus Christ. They represent all who are truly ready and waiting for their Lord and Saviour to return, whereas the others, the foolish ones, represents those who are doing nothing more than going through the motions. They don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they sing about 
and who is preached in the sermons that they listen to. They have never truly trusted in the incarnate Son of God as their sacrifice sin bearer, as the Lamb of God who poured out his precious blood and laid down his life for their sin. If they did, they would have been ready when he came. Finally, the Bible speaks of those who belong to Jesus as being in the world, but not of the world. It speaks of them as being a people who desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. The Bible speaks of them as willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It speaks of them as having the following prayer in their hearts and upon their lips. Even so, come Lord Jesus. As such, and in light of what we have been considering this morning, as a Christian, I trust you are someone who can shoot from the heart and say, I don't know when it will be, but I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is coming again. And when Jesus comes, I will be ready with my spiritual suitcase, suitcase packed to go and be with him forevermore. Jesus has fulfilled the law's demands on my behalf in life and in death. He is the Lord, my righteousness. I have redemption in his blood, even the forgiveness of all my sins, past, present and future. He has delivered me from destruction and he has saved me by his grace to do works which God has prepared for me in his service. And until Jesus comes again, I draw on God's enabling grace to do that which is pleasing to God and beneficial to the church as I present my body a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable service. And to God be the glory. Amen.